Hello, everybody. Welcome to a episode 51.50. So this is the other half. We were not there on Thursday as well, things. Chris got pulled away. I got pulled away from a meeting that was supposed to be a half hour into being two hours, but it's OK. Props to John and John or Youper, if you like to call them. Did a good job of holding it down. And we even got a compliment on those guys saying they were. No offense to Raj or Chris, but Youper and John did a, I'm paraphrasing a little bit. They did a really good job and I'm glad they did. And it's good to know that we have the depth among our benches, but those guys have been doing this show for a while now and props to Youper for taking the lead and taking initiative. And, but on that note, anyway, welcome to Wilbur Tigers here. I'm, <laughs> I'm Raheli Kassi alongside Ms. Chris Brown. You're under the old show format was just the two of us. And so you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and over at woodwardsports.com. This is probably the slowest sports day of the winter as the Super as Well, can I say Super Bowl? That, is yeah, you can say Super Bowl. You just can't put it in marketing materials or whatever. Okay. The big game. Yeah, the big game is next week. So the Super Bowl is next week. And I would, Chris mentioned this earlier before we started the podcast, that essentially this is probably the second slowest time of the year next to after the baseball all-star break and i would agree with that but winter wise i think this is the slowest day of the year I'm, yeah i mean you've got first of all yeah, you've got no they added a week to the schedule you've got no you've got no football and then you also have no hockey right now because they just had the hockey all-star break and so you've got some nba stuff and you've got some college sports but that's about it which is you kind of get used to the winter mode where there's football there's basketball there's Hockey, there's college basketball, there's college hockey. But for super nerds like me, there are, are other things going on right now. Like today was the Super 60, which is an annual, it used to be on Super Bowl Sunday. It's an annual baseball like combine in the Chicago area where all, not all, but a lot of the best high school players from the Midwest and the East Coast come together to, to take batting practice, run their 60s, get outfield throws, get pop drills in and, and pitchers. And they're usually a handful of top 50 picks there every year. This year, uh, Max Clark was there, who may go to the Tigers at number three overall, may go first overall. So if you're a super nerd like I am, like I said, you can watch that on Twitter. But otherwise, yes, it's slow. There's not a whole lot going on, which is a good time to talk about baseball, two weeks away from spring training. Yeah, and there is some baseball going on in the Caribbean, so down in Venezuela, as day three yesterday concluded, there's day four right now, excuse me, day three concluded yesterday and so far on day four mexico beat cuba six to five but cuba got their asses handed to them on saturday as they lost 20 to three as nine players got multiple hits or more than one hit yeah but just said that multiple hits and the big the big person that had the big way was danny vasquez who went four for five with a home run and danny or danry danry sorry Oh, former Tigers prospect, prospect slash scumbag. Oh yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, that's the that's the douchebag. Yeah. So Mexico beat Colombia yesterday, seven to six. And oh no, Max. We'll, we'll talk about Max Clark shortly. Chris has got some thoughts on Max Clark when we've we've talked about him too. So that's a good point to bring back here. Is if anybody's watching us on the YouTube chat, I don't expect a lot to be honest because it's not our normal Thursday show. But again, just wanted to. There's a couple of things I wanted to talk about and we didn't get a chance to on Thursday, but nevertheless, and then Dominican Republic beat Puerto Rico six to four. And what was interesting about the Panama 
Krakow game, which Krakow won one to nothing. Is it, am I saying that incorrectly? Curacao. Curacao. Thank you. Curacao. Krakow. Curacao game. Looks like Krakow. Yeah, it does look like Krakow, but Curacao won one to nothing. Former Tiger, Josh Jurgens, started, pitched three and two thirds innings of scoreless ball. So they only, yeah, the, 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 the pitching for Curacao. Curacao has been very good so far. And I watched yeah, for, a little bit of it yesterday. It's for, for a small island off the coast of Venezuela. They, they have a lot of talent coming out of the Curacao. Yes, you have Jonathan Scope's brother, his older brother, and Scope on the team. But yeah, there's just been, as long as the favorites, so it seems like Venezuela, it's, it's going to be a close. It's, I think Dominican Republic is going to give Venezuela a good run for its money. Mexico's already 2-1 and one in the pool. So in terms of how it stands right now, Cuba's one and three so far. Curacao is two and one. So you have four two and one teams, and then Colombia one and two, Puerto Rico at one and two, Panama one and two, and Cuba. Hello, everybody who's watching us on YouTube. But yeah, that that was that's my nerdum. I was watching a little bit of that. The baseball. I before that, I watched the Venezuelan championship the week before, and that was some interesting baseball too. It's 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 a fix. Because I didn't want to go through a YouTube rabbit hole of watching old games from the 80s, which sometimes I do that. Admittedly, we'll do that. But also, this weekend has been the NHL All-Star Game. That The events, the... I like how they do it, though. Like the So that's a subject I wanted to bring up with you, Chris. Out of the, all, the All-Star Games, format-wise, which one's your favorite? But Dylan Larkin, Red Wing, scored five goals. He had a hat-trick, and then he had a pair of goals. He had a hat-trick in the second game in which the Atlantic beat the Central. So they won the all-star game and a million dollars to share among 11 players. Oh, wow. He was not, he was not MVP, but it's okay. It was the, I believe it would suck. No, no. Was it Kachuk? Matthew Kachuk. Yeah. Matthew Kachuk, who was a Florida Panther, hometown hero, won the MVP. And he also won a Honda pilot. Well, that was oh. pretty cool. But at all the all-star game, all the, all the stuff, facility. Festivity. Festivity. Well, I don't know. I actually, I didn't pay attention to the NHL all-star game. I did look and see that they 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 have multiple games now. So I like like you said, it's like division versus division now. Right. They used to. I used to love the NHL All Star Skills Competition the most. The they still have that on Friday. Is, is it is still the one where you have to like the they have the hardest shot, the fastest skater, the shooting the little styrofoam plates in the in the goal. I used to think that those were fun, and they used to do stuff like that in the baseball All Star games, the outfield relay throws until somebody blew out their arm. Yeah, they don't do it anymore. But uh, yeah, I think generally that's the most fun. Well, the NBA All-Star game seems to get the most hype for the dunk contest and the, the three-point competition. But the dunk contest goes through like these cycles where they'll have one amazing contest a decade where like people you care about are actually in it and they do some interesting stuff and people yell about the dunk contest being back. And then within three years, it's four guys you've never heard of who are basically G League players going out there and missing 12 dunks before they, they win. So, yeah, the, this, uh, the plate shooting is yeah, check, good fun. Yeah, check this out. This is, this is from Conor McDavid. Yeah, yeah, Conor McDavid, look at this. 18.147. He's pretty good. Just putting on a clinic. He wasn't the fastest, but he went four for four. Nice. Ridiculous. I used to I used to do that. When we first moved from where I grew up in Ypsilanti to Brighton, Suddenly there were lakes everywhere, just a lot of lakes out here and a lot of ponds and a lot of, so I, I got some skates and I got way into hockey for a couple of years and our basement had like a linoleum floor 
So I got rollerblades and would just be down there playing rollerblade hockey all day long. And, and I set things up like that. Like I'd tape along the walls and put little X's. And shoot. But back then, like roller hockey had like an orange ball. Yeah. That, that It's like, it's not really like a puck at all or anything. But you do it long enough and they had the like the plastic sticks. That was a big thing when I was a kid. And that's, you know, what's funny you mentioned that too, because we, in our basement, this is Ray Bork, by the way. Somebody say Ray Bork will never, Connor Mc. David will never be Ray Bork. I don't know, man. That, that, that's it's pretty like, good. But... It's like Emilio Estevez there. Yeah. <laughs> that, it looks like borderline. Yeah, that's a that hair, man. You know, like I said, the, the hair is beautiful. It's a good flow of hair. It, like he, it was at the, like they permed it or something like that. And whatever they, whatever those Darth Vader helmets they are at the, the salon. So the city I lived in, in Dearborn Heights, they had a floor hockey league that I played in. And then I think I've told the story before, but in our gym class, we didn't, so where I went to school, we didn't have a gym until after I graduated. It used to be, it was a hall. It was just a hall. And then on the other side of the hall was the classes. So our teacher, I'll never forget, Mrs. Belasco, fifth grade, set up a league, a floor hockey league between the two. Oh, so there's two fifth grade classes and we all had teams and she kept standings and she track of stats. And it was so awesome. It was so awesome. I was so jazzed up. We did it for fifth grade and sixth Fifth grade, we lost in a championship to a team that had these. I might, I'll never forget it. They had this one of my best friends who's still my, one of my friends to this day, Stephanie, on Blue Line or what was considered the Blue Line. And she would just, the, the in terms of us, uh, in terms of us using the stick, would mess with my foot the entire time. And every time I went down, and we used to play also in the basement too. My brother and I, in a little hallway, we had the plastic sticks, we used the hacky sack. And that's what we played, and I would be goalie all the time. I never got into rollerblades because my ankles sucked. Even though I was a runner, I never got into it. Anyway, but uh, yeah, that was, I love being goalie. And out of, all, out of all of them, I think you're right. I think the NHL All-Star game does have some intrigue. I like the way they're doing the divisions now. Baseball is still relatively good. Pro Bowl is going on right now, too, but they have flag football. The Pro Bowl has been just a giant exhibition to me. I don't, I don't know. I never really cared for the Pro Bowl. I did. I used to dig some of the stuff that they did around the Pro Bowl, though. They they used to have, like, weightlifting competitions and stuff. I remember Sean Rogers won that, I thought, one year. I don't know if it was, like, how many times you could lift 225 or something like that, but they used to do some stuff like that, too. That I don't know. And I've seen versions of baseball all-star game. It was in the AFL where they do the thing where you, like, there's, like, targets all over the field, and you could bunt for points, or you hit the targets, you get extra points. Like, old-school MVP baseball in somebody's living room, which I dig, but... I don't know it. It your tolerance for sports all star games basically comes down to how bored you are, how much you need to drink, and uh, you know how much you love the sport. Yeah, and, and again, I guarantee you, there's somebody out in Vegas making. I think there's prop bets for today. God, something like that. So yeah. it doesn't. It doesn't surprise me. How much you need to gamble too? Yes, not not just drinking. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta keep it going, man. And but it's yeah, you're on a hot streak. I would love to see something like that where you have precise hitting, where you have these big targets outfield and, and hit the that. I think they in the Korean league they do it, I believe. I can't remember. Boy, shock, man. It was either the Korean league or the Japanese league where they have bunting skill sets and all that. So I thought that'd be pretty cool to have. But so let's get into a little bit of the baseball conversation with the Tigers and the broadcasting team. So there's been some changes being made. First and foremost, Jack Morris, we talked about this a few weeks ago. He's was take a I guess he didn't want to take a reduced role and so he's gone and he said he was going to do some more stuff on his bucket list quote unquote and he, he 
there's an article, good job by Evan Woodbury of M Live, and he mentioned that. So, in his place, you're going to see more Craig Monroe, Todd Jones, and a th- one that I think we've been advocating for for quite a bit. If he was let go at the Yes Network, and that's Cameron Maven, who is going to be, to me, a significant upgrade. Todd Jones is funny, but I didn't know that I, Todd Jones is a character, and he's he's similar to Phil Coke in that sense that. He's going to have some things. He's going to almost feel like he's going to, he should have like a corn pipe or something like that. Just going, when I was a closer, it wasn't done until I got the three and two. And then I would uh, throw my patented curveball and all the day. I don't, I don't know. But overall, that's in terms of news wise, I, I don't really pay attention to that aspect of it all. It, it, people are just, mm-hmm. but hey, Cameron maybe it's a welcome addition. I do that a lot. I like the, the fact that Tigers went younger. And didn't go back to the, the glory days of 1984 with that. Yeah, that's that's the main thing is they've been really relying on those teams from the 80s. You got Petrie, who we, you got Morris, you got Gibson. And the thing, Morris was just always so self-serious. Like the, he had some fun occasionally. But you could tell that that he basically still thought he was better than everybody he sees pitching, right? And so I think Todd Jones is going to be the exact opposite. He's I think he's going to spend a lot of time talking about how much he sucked which is not necessarily true, but so I think, yeah, I think he'll provide some comic relief or at least some, some levity. And, uh, Maven's great. We, we, we saw him, I think we heard Maven in spring training last year on the yes network. I don't know what, what's wrong there. I didn't listen to him all year. So sometimes, sometimes you hear guys for more and you understand that, oh, they're saying the same thing over and over again. This is not entertaining, but there's a funny clip of him going around of of him saying that he's rubbed up quite a few balls in his day. And there's (laughs) seconds of silence, but yeah, it's just nice to get some younger guys in there. Like the Tigers were one of the best teams in baseball for a good decade from 2006 to 2014. So there's got to be some guys from that era who can relay some more information other than Craig Monroe. And Austin, and Austin Jackson did a good job too when he subbed yeah, in. The, the radio team has, they've been, they had Doug Fister on there once. They, they're, they've been trying some stuff, but yeah, it, it just would be nice to get some, some young, <laughs> some new blood in there. So I'm fairly happy about it. I, I, as I said, I, I don't really, or as you said, it, it, it's not something that we care about all that much. We're more about the product on the field than in the booth, but uh, anything, anything they can do to get people to enjoy it, it's cool with me. That's, that's just basically Jack Morris in a nutshell, glory days. And it's just playing it subtly underneath because that's the way you operate. But yeah, let's get into two, some, the, the Charlie Chan imitation, as Todd said in there, did not exactly help him, but he did come back on air. I think they were just, again, I think they were looking for a different voice altogether, period. I, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I, to me, again, this is, it's good that Matt Shepard, like I said, meeting him a couple times last year or being down there with him every day. I like Matt Shepard. I think he's a good guy. And a lot of people rag on him for his broadcasting style, but I don't listen to the, I'm not, I'm obviously I'm listening to the game sometimes when I'm in the press box, but at the same time, I, I just think people overemphasize things that are unnecessary. It's, I don't know, it's just like this crying sometimes that, and, and then again, I have to think about how Twitter is. Twitter sometimes is this really, we've talked about this numerous times, mm-hmm. annoying. Yeah, and it, it's, it represents a small segment of, of the actual listening audience. There are a lot of people who are watching games that either don't care about Twitter or don't know Twitter exists. Yeah, I don't know. I We've talked about it many times. Yeah, Matt Shepard seems like a good dude, and, and he's somebody you'd probably want to hang out with and talk sports, but not necessarily a baseball announcer guy. 
Like a, there's something about baseball announcers that just is unique Vin Scully types that, that they just have a weird sort of mystical view of baseball that, that some guys can pull it off. Some guys can't. We'll see. By the way, that was the first and probably the first time ever we got a Warren Olan reference. And that was Warren Olan. Yeah, won't thank you. Again, I'm not saying it better. So you know who he is, right? No. So he did a lot of early on and when moving pictures was a thing in America, he did a lot of the Asian Oh no. Yeah, he did the like that stereotype. So I'm not gonna oh, I see. If you look him up, it's who was it in Breakfast and Tiffany's? Was that Mickey Rooney? Played yes. like a, like a buck tooth Asian stereotype. Yeah. Yeah, Mickey Rooney, yeah. That was and then he ended up talking about that somewhere too. It was, yeah. But anyway, so that was a nice reference there by Todd there. Walter, yeah, welcome yeah. aboard on Sunday. YouTube channel Sunday. Yeah, you know what? You're right though. Well, Ernie, Ernie Harwell spoiled us for so long. But also at the same time, like I said, I look at across I look at across Detroit broadcasting as a whole. I think of to me, my one of my favorites is still George Blaha. Does a really good job with Pistons. I know that he does a lot of he hits it like the uh, he, he says a lot of those broadcasting terms, but he does a good job on football too for MSU. We have we have Dan Hasty, who we have the pleasure of knowing who's over at West Michigan, does a really good job. But I go back to the days of in terms of Red Wings, we had Dave Strader, the late Dave Strader on Channel 50, who was a fantastic broadcaster. I really, really like Dave a lot. Him and Mickey Redman did a really good pair and a great story about how he got the job too. He was in Adirondack, the Red Wings old minor league team. And he worked his way up, and I don't know. I just to him, I thought Ray Lane did a good job when he called games. Sometimes, every once in a while, when he did, because I remember him calling. Did you remember him calling games? Ray I remember Lane? him. I remember calling Red Wings games. Yeah. I, I don't. He also did some Tigers too, but I don't remember that. I think he was there on the final game at Tiger Stadium. I don't know if he was calling the game at all. He did. I, I think he was. I think he was on the broadcast with Frank Beckman. Another one. Another example. Beckman. The late Frank Beckman. Ray. That was broadcaster that was my uh, beckman was my he was the voice of michigan football for forever for when i was growing up after i think it was frank beckman and he had that deep voice and that they stopped the clock when they shouldn't have but no yeah I, blaha has been around forever man and i all i want from him is to just 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 give up give up that aggressive comb over man it is a violent comb over now just just be bald and be happy be bald and be beautiful george it's okay you're old enough. You can you can have it. You don't have to look like really Giuliani anymore. Even even Giuliani <laughs> gave up the damn come over at, at a certain point. And another another guy too that gets credit too. Or I don't think he gets enough credit sometimes is Bruce Martin, who called the Red Wings games. And the reason why I want to mention him is because he was he was a little older, but again, I thought that he it was actually I believe it was Ken Kell that took over for him in '95. And Ken Cal, another one. That's again, we in this town, we we're very, very spoiled with that. Ian, props to Jesse over out in Lansing too. Jesse's Jesse should be at a major league level, in my opinion. Yeah, and they had all the announcers we've talked about before. Mark Champion, people dug with with the the Lions and then the Pistons, and then Dan Miller, people love with the Lions, and Dan Dickerson, a lot of Dan's. So, yeah, it is. It is. We're fairly fortunate with the announcers. Now we just need the teams to do some stuff. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, and that's that's a common thing when we're looking in the next couple of weeks. By the way, we're going to break down position. I'm going to be doing some articles for Woodward Sports, breaking down position battles and in spring training. And one of the things that we had a question on here from Dom, and it was about why did the Tigers get rid of Harold Castro? 
And the, the, the answer for you, Dom, is really simple. I think that it goes a little bit beyond perhaps his hitting skill. It could be a locker room thing. I don't know. I, to be honest, a number defensively, he was limited. He did a good job serving, but if you look at the power, look at the walks, never drew walks. It doesn't fit into what Scott Harris is trying to do. So I don't say locker room in a, in a bad way, rather, but it's I think they were trying to, in some ways, get rid of as much of Zavila's presence as possible. Yeah, it. it I mean, it's telling that he didn't get signed to a big league deal anymore, right? He got signed to a minor yeah. league deal with, it, with an invite to spring training. And, and you touch on it. It's He was a good hitter, but he did not do enough of anything else to justify a big league roster spot. We talk all the time, like like being a <laughs> an everyday major leaguer is incredibly difficult. And to do it, you've got to be like one of the 500 best baseball players in the world. And if you're one of the 2,000 best baseball players in the world, which is really good, but you're struggling for a job for most of your life. And yeah, not enough power, not enough on-base skills. And in, despite his defensive versatility, he wasn't a good defender really anywhere. And he wasn't fast. So it's it's... I think what we what we've seen so far from Scott Harris is a desire to get more athletic and more versatile and more patient. Guys who are going to get on base if they can't get on base via a hit. And that's something that was just strangely like the, the Avila front office just seemed to love these guys who could put the bat on the ball but couldn't do much else. But same with Willie Castro, same with Victor Reyes. Like they they all had some skill but they did not have enough uh, ability, as it were, to to work the work the count to the point where they could get a pitch to drive or work the count and, and draw a walk. And the what what we've seen from the guys that Scott Harris landed, he got Justin Henry Malloy, who ran like an eighteen percent walk rate last year, and he might be defensively limited too, but he's played some outfield, played some third base, manned up at first base. You got Vierling, who isn't a huge walk guy, but he's also not a big strikeout guy. He's like a, a Victor Reyes, but faster and stronger and then you've got Maton who is like Willie Castro but with walks and can actually play shortstop a little bit better so I think that's the main thing is they're just trying to get guys who, who have a more well-rounded skill set than than Harold Castro who was fun to watch and if if I were picking a pinch hitter in the ninth inning he would be the guy but you only have 26 spots in the roster and you can't really keep a guy like that if you're trying to win a lot of games yeah especially when for in Castro's case too one of the things that I noticed about a hitter too is that if you adjusted the defense correctly to him, and there was he would always find a way get those soft fly balls in just the right spots, which is which is admirable. Don't get me wrong, but he there, he's a guy that's not gonna if you need a home run, no. Yeah, there 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 are players who still succeed with that kind of skill set. Luis Arias is one of them, except he never struck out and never. hit for a little more power. But he didn't walk, and he's not a good defender. But but you have to be that kind of rare mix of, of just constantly being able to hit 315. And then Harold Castro, for as good a hitter as he was, was not quite to that level. He still struck out a bit too much. Yeah, and that, and again, the walk rate, when you, it was under 3 or 4%. Or something so, like yeah, that. He, just, he, was, he, was, he never walked. It's, and that's something that's really hard at an eight thing. Guys typically don't learn to walk because it's part of just their nature. You don't, you don't walk off that island. You hit your way off the island, as they say, even if you're not from an island. That's just what they say. And honestly, honestly, if I look at that leads into our next subject, which is the non-roster invites that came to the camp, and those are much more interesting to me 
than Harold Castro. Nothing against Castro, but if you look at some of the position player-wise, they got a little younger. So let's start there. Brendan Davis, who the Tigers picked up from the Angels last year. Jonathan Davis, not to be confused, the lead singer Corn, which was a joke that I beat to death when it had happened, but he was a former Blue Jays prospect who had a cup of coffee with the Yankees and then most recently with the Brewers. Dylan Dingler, which I think we'll get to back to Dingler here in a second. That's he's got a lot to prove there. Mario Feliciano, Cesar Hernandez, Andy Baez, the Cuban infielder they picked up from Texas, Cole Keith, who we just had on the podcast, Andrew Knapp, Justin Henry Malloy, who also we've had on the podcast recently. You can find that over at Tiger Miley Report on our YouTube channel. Jermaine Palacinos, Michael, I'll see if it for you. Peperowski, that's how you say it. I'm Mike Papersky. Paparski, Paparski, Mike yeah. Paparski, Mike, got the yeah. Polish sausage. You picked up 17 links of Polish sausage. We're going to have a beef yes. with Mike Paparski. Paparski, uh, watching the Bears. All right, and uh, Julio uh, E. Rodriguez, not to be confused with the Seattle Mariners super prospect. Yes, and one of the things that Al brings up in the, or excuse me, Al, Todd, brings up about Al Vila is some of those moves, like some of these non-roster invites are actually interesting. And the infield side of things, or position player side of things, we'll get to that back in a second. Pitcher-wise, Elvis Adorado, who we saw last year pitch at Erie quite a bit. Kevin, or Kervin Castro, that one I'm not really familiar with. I think that was one of those that... They, they, I thought they grabbed, he was another guy I thought they grabbed. He was on San Francisco, I believe. I thought that, that they Oh, on... yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's from Venezuela, I believe, too, I believe. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if he was one of the guys that they added to the 40-man and then dropped shortly thereafter but yeah he's an interesting arm so three of these arms next are been on the 40-man roster before they were on the 40-man last year angel de jesus miguel de pozo and miguel diaz diaz by the way it's a former padre so that kind of fits into trey winneater the big big six eight guys the who they picked up for who they picked up zach Lowe, chase chase retrieve and Adam Wolf, which I'm pretty excited about too, as well. And right on Hanafi. 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 There we go. Hey, Jeremy, thanks for every, Walter, everybody, for coming in on a no, YouTube no chat this evening. Good to see some people in here, some familiar faces from our Thursday show. And to, to answer Todd's question about Erod, and I think you'll be, am I saying that right? So you'll be said it best in the chat. He's a deadline piece to me. And, and just talking to some of the pe- people, it looks like if he was going to get moved, it would be at the deadline too. But so position-wise, Chris, for me, having Cole Keith on, and he just didn't, and Evan Petzold from the Free Press also just did an article about him too. We got to some, we we had a feeling maybe he was going to be on, get invited to the camp because he seemed very giddy when we talked to him. It was, <laughs> it was nice, but I, that doesn't come as a surprise to me. I like, I like that because along with him and Malloy, I think having those prospects among, really a sea of veterans here because you look at potentially a backup a position for backup catcher just you, you're gonna know that rogers is gonna be jake rogers is gonna be probably more likely to back up to ericos but this also could be positioning for toledo or a third catcher because i know hinch likes to have catcher depth but he for keith here this is a chance for him to come out and prove defensively that all that trammel work he did with alan trammel worked yeah and and i, I mean there's so much talk about prospect rankings, and I'm sure the guys touched on it on Thursday about Keith Law ranking the Tigers as the 30th system and, and all that stuff. 
But one thing we've said forever and ever and ever is that teams show you what they think of players. Cole Keith is the only player on that list who hasn't been to double A yet. He's he's the only Dingler and Keith are basically the two prospects and, and Malloy, I guess, are the, the prospects on the non roster invitee. And so you that that tells you what you need to know. The the Tigers probably think of Colt Keith as their best prospect. It, it, and and so, and they think they don't really have a third baseman. They know that they have some bodies there, and it would not predict Colt Keith to win the job. But I think they're going to give him some playing time and say this is what you need to be. So he's going to get the feel for for what it what it's like to be in a big league spring training and what you need to do to be a big leaguer. Because he, I think, their hope is that he's the third baseman of the future. And we, we, we asked him about that because he would, did not look good on defense in, in the AFL. And he had some pretty good explanations for that and also said that he lost weight and, and he really wants to be a good third baseman. And so that's all good to hear. So I think they're going to they're gonna put him out there and see how he looks. But yeah, he's, it's exciting to see him. And then beyond that, like it's spring training, so they always bring every catcher they can. So Dingler, Papersky, Feliciano, Rodriguez, Knapp. A lot of those guys are just there to catch the ball. I'd be shocked if many of them get more than five plate appearances once they start playing games. But then they have also, it, it appears that they're looking for a lefty reliever because you've got Shreve there, you've got Del Pozo, you've got Wolf and Logue. So those are just some of the early feelings you get from the, the non-roster invitee list, you know, what, what they're trying to suss out. <laughs> it's pretty training early on, but nice. Nice thing use of the word. By the way, I've been playing that game here. I actually started playing that game about a month ago and my buddy Chris and his kids play and they, I was over his house. You want to play? And I uh, started playing that sus game. The, I'm not familiar uh, with it. Oh, really? Oh, I thought that's what you're talking about. So it's, you have to, the, it's, you have to guess who the, the killer is on oh. the spaceship. But as far as getting back to the thing is, is that, with Keith, he's going to get some time at third only because you look at how he, Baez is going to get some time at third or short because Baez is going to be participating in the World Baseball Classic. So some players on the Tigers right now are not going to be able to, I think Scope is going to be in the World Baseball Classic too. So Keith can get some time at second base. That's a possibility too. And so that would be a good opportunity to see what he has and what he learned in the infield. And you're right about the lefty position because I look at Shreve, who's a veteran, and Del Pozo is, he has good velocity. And he showed some, I mean, in terms of some of his numbers, Del Pozo last year really held it down in Toledo, but he struggled when he came up. He was, how long was he up here? He was with the Pirates beforehand, but then last year. I confuse, I feel like he came up, I confuse him with Jose Fernandez, who was another lefty that they brought up, I think, once or twice. Okay, because he came up in 2021. That's what it was. Not last year. My apologies. Yeah, I bet they both they've been around and and yeah, like you said, they're they're lefties with he's got. I think his fastball gets up to 95. He's got a decent curveball. It's just they're they're the backup quarterbacks of the baseball world. Like they they can occasionally show you something and get get by when you need a lefty. You have them in the system and and maybe they can come in and give you an inning or two. Thank uh, you, but, Alan. By the way, yeah, talk about Among Us. Thank you. Oh, you played. Oh, okay, yeah. Among Us. Gotcha. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, I'm familiar with Among Us, but uh, although I, I haven't really played it much. But yeah, I don't know. It... <clears throat> Excuse me. I did a uh, like a like a just a, a guess for the bullpen, and I had some right-handers, not lefties. I figured they'll get a guy like who is – I'm blanking on his name, the, the, the prospect they got from 
like the Dodgers and Diamondbacks system. He's got a really good change. Oh, um, uh, starts with a U. Right? His last name starts with a is U. It, is it Uceta? Uceta, yeah. Yeah. Uceta Mouthful. Yeah, I, I was like, in my mind, I'm like, you know what? They're just going to, they'd like to have a lefty specialist, but how about just a bunch of dudes with good change-ups? So I threw him in the bullpen for fun. But we'll see. We'll see if Chase and Shreve or Zach Logue or Del Pozo or Wolf wins a job in the bullpen. And it would really be awesome if any of those guys wins it because they're, they're a long shot at this point. And get back to the Pozo, in the last 14, between after August, from August to September, he only allowed two runs over 14 innings or pretty much 15 innings of work. And he maintained that high strikeout. I think he had for the year 66 strikeouts to 44 innings pitch, I believe it was, something to that effect. And so the Pozo does present, like, that's why he's intriguing, is that he, he was able to hold batters down to a at least a 229 batting average last year. And before that, it was a 161. So there, there's a reason why he's still around. But again, with the veteran market, and we've talked about this with Andrew Chapin seeking some money. And again, even the mystery behind why Michael Fulmer has the downside. I know what the thing with Daniel Norris is that I think Daniel Norris wants to start. And that's why he hasn't signed. And, and it's like one of those things where he wants yeah. to be a starter. And I think he would, have been to... start, I think he would sign by now. You have to wonder if that's the same deal with, with Michael Fulmer, too, because you haven't really heard much of anything from him. Yeah, it's been crickets. And then, and then the Chafin, and we talked about it before, it was the Phillies signed somebody that really blew up the left-handed reliever market. <laughs> he's, he's still all yeah. there. And, and also, we, we, I mean, he, he showed up in spring training last year out of shape from working on his Camaro all winter or whatever, and but he ended up being great, so I'm sure that he'll be fine. Yeah. I don't know what he's doing this offseason. Maybe he's fishing, like doing some... He's fishing. I, I I don't know. We probably follow. He used to just post on his Twitter all the time about his Camaro and stuff. So if somebody's following him on Twitter, they can probably find out what he's doing or Instagram. I don't know. Yeah, we yeah, there's some of our people among our baseball community are pretty good at stalking or no, not stalking. <laughs> I don't want to say stalking, but Instagrams like for people that have public Instagrams out there. They have some. There was some video the other day that of Akil Badu working out that was posted in the Tigers Discord our Tigers discord and that was good to see. And, and that's, we'll get into more of that next week, but Akil Badu to me, out of between him and Kerry Carpenter, I think Badu still has the upside because he has a better eye at the plate than Carpenter. That battle right there is to me, the most interesting. That's going to be the big headliner battle right there for the outfield, because I think Akil Badu last year got lost in the shuffle a little bit. He was down in Toledo and just, was trying to figure things out. And I think he did. And I think this is this is a guy who, again, we talk about his rookie season, what he's capable of. And I think he's a better athlete overall than Carpenter. Carpenter has that power. His can't dispute that whatsoever. But defensively, Badu is a better defender. Yeah, Badu improved a great deal as a defender in left field at least last year. It'll be interesting because they brought in Veerling too. So I don't know who's going to play where and who's going to win the job. We, we're assuming that Austin Meadows still has the right field job, but maybe he DHs more, or maybe they rotate those guys in DH. But yeah, Badu is the most dynamic of all the options, right? He's, he's the one who can do the most stuff. He has some power. We've seen him hit 440-foot home runs, but that's not really the main part of his game. What you want him doing is you want him working the count, getting infield singles, causing havoc on the bases. And 
And I don't know what happened to him last year, but that that Kiel Badu did not really show up until September. But if 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 that's the guy at the beginning of the year, I mean, remember this is a kid that like two years ago was batting leadoff just about every game for a team that was playing a lot better than everyone thought they they should have. Right? It was it was the team that was good enough that gave us optimism heading into last year. And then he had the dreaded sophomore slump or whatever happened. But so yeah, he has the highest upside, I think. Unless there's there's a there's a world where Kerry Carpenter just continues to hit for power like he did in the minors, and you go, All right, we have to take the guy who's gonna hit his thirty bombs. That's just the way it's gonna be. I'm a little skeptical about that, but he did hit what, five in, in his limited time in the big leagues last year. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right. That's probably the most interesting roster battle at this point. And it'll be fun to see how Hinch figures it out. Yeah, because then you also enter a new challenger in Parker Meadows. I, look, the, yeah. the Parker Meadows last year opened up a lot of eyes to a lot of people in, in the organization because based off his numbers, like I said, I've been a big fan of him, one of him and still present. Yesterday, Cody Hagen was on Sabre Day for the South. I'm part of the Southern Michigan chapter for Sabre, so... It, it's a great organization. We love baseball. They talk baseball. We, we're talking books. We're talking, you know, if anybody's interested in joining it, I don't know what the cost is or whatever, but it's for baseball research. So if you're really into baseball, being a nerd about baseball, by all means, it's, it's a great group of people. And our president, Gary, Gary has had his name in a lot of baseball reference books. He's, he's like the, he's one of the forefathers of baseball research. And there's a couple of books I have back here that have his name on it. But anyway, Parker Meadows is a guy that I think I know our buddy Mark has said something along the lines that they'll sleep on him, but I, I don't think anybody is. I think if Parker Meadows went out last year as a center fielder, hit with power and shows us, I mean, he's for his size too. He's got amazing speed. He made a couple the great defensive plays last year in spring training. We saw and same thing with Erie. That's another, you add that to the, to the fire too, because then at the same time, Chris, it almost for I don't want to say it forces the Tigers to trade, but it does give the Tigers a little more depth than we previously thought. Yeah, and, and he may be the best defensive center fielder in the organization right now. Everybody was really happy with Riley Green's defense, but he has to go 100% at all times and dive everywhere to make these spectacular catches. And Parker Meadows probably doesn't have quite the instincts that Riley Green does, but he's got gazelle legs and he's faster and and he can run down just about anything so there's there's a world where parker meadows settles in at center field and riley green settles in right or left and that's probably a more ideal outfield setup we saw how good riley green was at center imagine him doing that in, in a corner with a little less room to have to cover i think he'd be a plus defender yeah that, that's probably the best setup but we did see that that parker meadows it took him about a month to adjust from high A to double A. He yeah, had he, he was just kind of doggy paddling there for a little bit. But then from what is it, June on? Yeah. Really, really performed well and, and did everything. Power, speed, got on base. So yeah, I, I think he's somebody who uh, he hasn't had a plate appearance above double A yet. He went to the AFL. I would imagine he gets at least half a year in Toledo. But yeah. you never know. No. Like that that's just one of those things where you've got a whole new not a whole new, but but an entirely not entirely either. Whole and entirely are synonyms. You've got a, a new president with a new perspective. So he may be willing to just look at some of the guys in the minors and say, you know what? I know this guy's in double A. I know this. I know Colt Keith hasn't hit in double A yet, but you know what? He's our best third baseman. He's coming to the bigs. 
We may see that. I'm doubting it, but you never know. It, it, it got a new set of eyes in there. Perry with an interesting question. Do you guys think of Lynn, what, what, what do you guys think of Lynn Henning saying that Miggy walks away by the end of May or June because of Carpenter? Thinks he's going to produce. Look, I love Lynn Henning. I, I do. But this is the same guy who also got really excited about Cody Clemens. And look, <laughs> look, it, it, like the look, I think Kerry Carpenter is going to be a good player, but I don't think Miguel Cabrera, Miguel Cabrera's game has a trap call quest once said an award tour with everything. He, he's going to get a grant. He's going to get the granny chair. He's going to get all the stuff around the league, but all jokes aside, <laughs> I want to see another, I want to see Carpenter in a full-time role f- from the beginning of the season until the beginning of June and see how he does. And now if he's bombing left and right, then obviously it's going to force the Tigers hand in some cases, but I just don't see it right away. I, again, I think Carpenter grows, but I don't, I don't see that he comes out raking. Yeah. I, and also Miguel Cabrera doesn't strike me as the guy who's just going to walk away. I think he loves baseball too much and he likes being down at the park. And, and I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. You never know when I think Ken Griffey Jr. Famously, didn't he retire in the middle of the season? Cause he like, he had fallen asleep in the clubhouse and they were looking for him to pinch hit. He's, oh man, I fell asleep. It's time to retire. Yeah. Like sometimes it's just time to go. I was, I clipped for the, the, the Woodward show, big D energy. And they had Lindsay Hunter on there the other day doing a couple of shows. And it's always fun to get the perspective of, of professional athletes. And he was talking, they were talking about Tom Brady retiring. And uh, Neil Rule asked him, like, hey, did you know? And he's like, I, knew, I know exactly when I, I decided to retire. It was, he was with the Bulls when Derrick Rose was young and Del Negro was the coach. And, and Vinny Del Negro was telling all the players, all right, they got to get out, get out there and do a whole bunch of sprints. And Lindsey Hunter's like, man, I'm not doing that. Vinny Del Negro was like, no, you, you don't have to do it. And he was like, all right, yeah, okay. But still, it's time to go. Like, I, don't, <laughs> I just don't feel like doing that anymore. So maybe one day Cabrera wakes up and is like, I don't feel like taking a bunch of swings in the cage this morning or getting out in the field. But, but yeah, I think he's going to play out the, the, the rest of the season. Yeah. That's just who he is. No, you're right. And he, if there's one thing I didn't notice last year in the, in the dugout was the camaraderie among, among players. And it was a very fractured clubhouse. You know, the few times that I was able to see him come out on the field like that. But again, I don't want to say, fra- I don't say fractured in the, I wish I had more click, evidence. Like clickish, clickish. Yeah, everybody's stuck to their own groups of people, and which is there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But Cabrera always was mixing it up with everybody that came in town. I remember he had the conversation he had with the Mariners broadcaster, Rio guy, and just he was always talking to people. And I think he, yeah, there, there's a certain he's like the mayor right now, mm-hmm. and so he sets the tone for that clubhouse. And also think about it this way too. He's gonna not gonna be there for part of spring training because he's playing for Team Venezuela in the World Baseball Classic. I just think that that re- that will help him get in the game shape better. I mean, in terms of getting baseball action quicker, barely speaking, and playing against guys who are gonna be in single A by the end of the week in spring training or the end of the day, it really depends. But either way, I just think that he's gonna play out the season. I just don't see that happening. There's also the possibility, as we've seen in the last several years, that he gets injured and, and may have the season end early on him anyway, which would be That's a real true. bummer. It would, it would yeah. suck to see him go out that way, but it would not be a shock at this point. He's 40 and big dude. He's had a lot of surgeries and a lot of 
don't know if he's had a lot of surgery, but he definitely had a lot of injuries. But yeah, his yeah. lower body is shot in yeah. some cases. It's tough to go out there and play 160 games a year. Yeah, or 60. And, and I know that the Miguel's reputation, to in terms of and and with Pod, oh Pod brings up a good point with the more diverse schedule allows him to see more fans around the league. That's a good point. That's going to be a good drawing point for any, but for especially teams that are something like Tampa or te- teams that don't necessarily draw well. But at the same, look, I know Miguel among clubhouse among the press. There's, I know he's moody and people don't necessarily like him. But at the same time, I don't know. I, I can go into whole diatribe about it, but I'm not. I just think there's just some interesting. I, I think for him. He's going to go out on his own terms, and he deserves that. Whether you don't think he deserves his contract or not, blah, 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 all that. That's Again. Just, it's the way the most contracts go, right? In the, for the most part. Very few guys end up being Albert Pujols, where they suddenly have a, a crazy final season, or David Ortiz. A lot, most guys go out with a whimper, and it, it's a bummer. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I expect. So another a couple of baseball notes that I found interesting this week. So the Dodgers are going to announce that they're going to retire Fernando Venezuela's number 34, which is pretty awesome to see. And if this is a guy who, by the way, if there's one thing about Tommy Larusa as very evident that he would ride his starters to the ground, literally ride them to the ground, like just grind them down to nothing. And it's, and, and again, it, that he went out there and those are the days where, Ben Verlander asked a question. Ben Verlander, ben Verlander posted this tweet was, what stats would you, I'm paraphrasing, something along the lines of, what stats are impossible to get? Or you, or uh, what, something along the lines of. Which record is impossible to beat? Yeah. And he said, Cy Young's complete games. It's yeah, duh. That, that's pretty obvious. <laughs> I mean, that... 700, 700 out of complete games in a time where you didn't have a bullpen. Of course. Again, stats. You don't pay attention to the stats before 1947. So the, the the one that people always cite is though is, is the Johnny Vandermeer's back to back no hitters. To break that, you have to throw three straight no hitters, which is seems unlikely. But I don't know. Maybe somebody will do it one day. No, Valenzuela was. You're talking about an absolute phenomenon. Like if if you if the Hall of Fame were like Kevin Goldstein's definition of just a place for famous baseball players, he should be in it. And he really was on an actual Hall of Fame track his first six, seven years. But like you said, Lasorda just burned his arm up. But yeah, what a what a you know, what a fun story and, and career that was. And it's good to see the Dodgers finally. He retired what twenty five years ago. Yeah, he retired as a member of the St. Louis Cardinals. But fun fun fact about Fernando Venezuela: there is a transaction, a Tigers transaction on baseball That's right. Athletes. That I found that the Tigers picked up Fernando Venezuela. I'm, I, I, I got to find it again, but I'm going to find it and share it with us. But I'll, I'll hear it in a moment. But yeah, I, I remember that too. And then they traded him. Yeah, to Baltimore. Purchased with, purchased with Rick Renteria by Jalisco from the Detroit Tigers. So he signed as a free agent with the Detroit Tigers in March of 92. Do me a favor and share that, that on the screen for us, Chris. I don't know how to do that. But uh, all right, hold on. Let me uh, present. Okay, we're we're yeah, but every time I do some, this, it ends up showing the like the Ant Man Quantumania pathway to hell. All right, let's streamer see present. There we go. All right. You, uh, I don't know what's going on yet. You see it there? It, I don't see it yet as of yet. No. I don't see it. It's still the the circle. Oh, go to that tab. Okay, there we go. 
this one. I see it now. Yeah. So, there, see? There you go. Signed as a free agent for the Tigers in 92. And then bought by Jalisco of the Mexican League from the Tigers with Rick Renteria, who went on to become the manager of the Cubs and the White Sox, right? Yep, that's correct. So, so here, that. so here's a fun fact. I mean, from 19, so this is technically from 1981 to 1986 because 1980, he only appeared in 10 games. But from 19, so let's go with here, 1981 to 1986, he pitched in 210, he pitched, he pitched 200 starts. He, had 84 complete games, 84 complete games. And he had an ERA of 2.86 with a whip of 1.18. And biggest thing, he also had a screwball. And a screwball takes a lot out of the arm, which is why his arm went the way it did. But Venezuela in that time went 99 and 68. This is when winnings and loss were a thing. But he, yeah, he posted, I'm sorry, he had a FIP of 2.86, ERA of 2.94. That's a lot. You don't see guys. So his average, he was averaging a 14 and 10 record every year for some Dodger teams that offense were offensively challenged in those that period of time. It wasn't until later on they finally broke through when they signed Kirk Gibson, who won the NL MVP, of course, and we all know that history. Yeah, it, it just blows my mind that if he if he would have stayed a little healthier, I think he could have even if he could maintain that to at least 88 to a certain extent, he pitched here. I mean, he had 20 complete games, 20 complete 20 games. games. <laughs> no one's going to do that in three <laughs> years now. Let alone, sorry, maybe even five years at this point. I, I don't throw think we have probably, probably career at this point. I'm, I'm checking yeah. to see the most yeah, that's, complete games in any one season since 1980. Just curious. But yeah, so yeah, that's, it's just, it's, it's good to see. When guys like that get uh, get a reward, I don't know what he's been doing for the last twenty five years, but I'm not. Sure. I think he works. I think he's a. I think he's a broadcaster for the Dodgers. I'm pretty sure. Maybe I. I, oh, I know he was doing some sort of TV work, but it. And this is so the Dodgers have Fan Fest. Um, Tigers didn't have Fan Fest with, for reasons that are maybe the Tigers perhaps were. Based off the interest of the Tigers, what have you, I, I don't know. But I wouldn't I, look. I miss Tiger Fest. I went to a couple of them before. I think it'd be cool. Of course, I would approach the idea. Hey, Tigers, can we do a live broadcast? And go. No. Be cool. Anyway, I just thought about the idea, but that'd be cool. Anyway, but uh, yeah. So, among other baseball news, it's been like I said, it's been outside. Of that, it's been relatively quiet. Not really much going on until we have. The, even the Royals had their Royals rally, and they brought back the they're bringing back the powder blue uniforms. That is awesome. So well, they wore every, every now and then, right? Yeah, every once in a while. But now they're bringing them back and more in rotation. Powder blues are beautiful, and that's one of my favorite throwback jerseys. Of course, I would never get it because it's NL Central team, and now I'm a journalist, and I can't do that. But at the same time, I love that powder blue. It was one of those things when the Tigers played the when the Royals came first. My first game was Bill Jackson watching those baby blues. And, but yeah, as far as everything else goes, baseball wise, we're gonna go into position. So next week, starting on Thursday, we'll take some questions right now from a YouTube chat to end the show. But yeah, next week we'll start breaking out position battles, and there's gonna be a series of articles coming out over at WoodwardSports.com. Check out the new website, by the way. The new website kicks a lot of ass, and I'm not just saying that because I work there. It is phenomenal. Easier to find articles, and the layout is beautiful. Props to the guys over that did the behind the scene work on it. 
on it. Of course, your podcast is not on there, but it's okay. You know where to find a podcast anyways, so it doesn't matter. But the website looks beautiful. Check out the all brand new woodwardsports.com. And then also, if you want to become a subscriber to the YouTube, there's some YouTube features for $1.99 a month. You can get emojis and tell them fish to go F themselves and all that. So go check that out <laughs> over at the Woodward Sports YouTube channel. So Johnson Family Farm says Tigers should still should sign a, sign a power bat. I agree with you. I thought, I remember Harris saying there was going to be a couple more moves before the end of, before beginning, before spring training began. And if you look at the free agent list, there's still a few names out there. Jackson Profar is still out there, but again, he's looking for a three to five year deal. He might not even get it. So I think you might see some, I think you're going to see some activity this week, either with the Tigers or whomever. Some of the last free agents are going to get some homes here because pitchers and catchers report on the is it 15 for the 13th? I can never remember. I think it's the 15th, but I know it's it's different for every team. So I want to say 15th, but it, it's definitely within the next two weeks. Yeah. The, the players who aren't signed are probably feeling a little tugging at their collar a little bit right now. Is it confirmed you're going to spring training, Chris? Is that a confirmed thing? I, I, I have not bought the ticket yet, but that is the plan. Okay. So I will I'll be joining Chris at spring training in March, one of the last weeks of March or second week of March. Is that right? I think the second week of March, yeah. Yeah. So I was gonna I was going with Woodward earlier, but it fell through and it's okay. I still want we're still getting to go, so it's gonna be pretty cool. So Todd sixty three asks in the chat, what kind of effect are the new hitting coaches going to have? We've talked about this a little bit. It's always tough to know what the hitting coaches are doing, right? Like people were really all over Scott Coolball last year because everything went south. But things were going well the year before under the same hitting coach. I think the main thing to me is just having more, more guys to talk to, more, more guys that, that I doubt that they all will have the exact same philosophy on hitting. It's, it's basically if they do, then there's no point in having three of them, right? They like you want some guys who have different theories and different practices, different, different exercises to help you get out of your funk. And uh, I think that's going to be the main, the main benefit benefit of that is just having multiple voices and you may see guys that end up just working exclusively with one of the hitting coaches it also allows those hitting coaches to not be spread so and so thin they can focus on four players instead of all 13 at a time so i think i think it works better that way but we'll see i you, you hope that the tigers hit better this year because it's going to be impossible to hit worse so yeah it, it's I, in terms of leads to the next question about Spencer Turkelson, and he 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 was on MLB Network talking about his swing, and I'm should I'm going to pull it up right now so we can have the audio so everybody can check out what he said. So give me a moment here, but it's our as far as if he decides, it really depends on what the work he's done in the off season because he's talked about his swing being fine and and he's see here. Let me put this up here. Sorry, I'm doing, again, show prep on the fly. I apologize, but I didn't have this link. I was thinking about, like, I didn't think about this question, but uh, Chris. Yeah, he's a guy that, his swing worked just fine, right, at Arizona State, and for the most part in the minors. His batting average went down at every step in the minors, but he kept hitting for power. But every time we saw him against real big league pitching, so that would be 2021 spring training when he went, what, like one for 25? And last year's spring training when he was just okay, 
and then all of last season, for his swing, and it looks to me like the exact same swing he's had his entire pro career and his entire amateur career, for whatever reason, it, it, it doesn't work against big league pitching. He's not on time with fastballs right down the middle. And I don't know. I'm not a swing coach. I'm not. I'm also not one of those guys who can really notice subtle differences in swings. But Torkelson keeps talking about getting back to his swing. And to me, it's the exact same swing that he's always had. So what we get is is you get this feeling like like he's a guy who is not willing to try something different because there were no obvious changes to his swing last year. And when he went down to Toledo, there weren't any obvious changes to his swing or his approach. So I think he's just a guy who, 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 for lack of a better word, is stubborn about what got him to this level. And I don't blame him for that. But if he's not going to be able to make any kind of real changes, it's ultimately going to be his downfall. I, I can't imagine, if he doesn't make any changes to who he was last year, I can't picture him doing any better than he did last year. But maybe, like I said, maybe I'm missing some aspects of his swing that needed to be tweaked. We've always talked about like maybe just get like a, a toe tap or a timing mechanism, just something so you're not flat footed. But I don't know through the extra hitting coaches, they're gonna. I'm, I'm sure he's one of their main priorities. But there's only so much you could do. What's the old the old phrase? You could lead a horse to water. You can't make him drink. So if if he doesn't want to change, then I don't know what to expect from him this year. And that's. And that's a problem there too, Chris. It's what you just said, the, the timing mechanism and, and not making the changes. And remember when we asked him last year, we asked Hinch about, has he been working on his stuff down in Toledo? And he gave a, yeah, 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 I'm trying, sorry, I cannot find the audio. That's, that's frustrating. But that's I, right. yeah, it, it might be on Twitter. That's what I'm looking for. It's on Twitter. It's that, and I can't, for whatever reason, I can't locate it. So if anybody has that link available, I'd love to play that in. And the, the thing is, one of the things in Toledo, it was, I remember he tweaked his swing. Remember this, Chris? The last, the first few weeks, he started trying to go to right because he was working on, he worked on individual parts every time he went up. So when he was up at Erie, he was, he struggled at Erie. I remember the first three weeks, he struggled at Erie, and then he started hitting the ball to work on going the right. And it was the same process he did when he got to Toledo, where he started working on a certain thing. He got fixated. I don't want to say fixated, but he was trying to make sure that all his parts of his game were there. And then he started hitting with power. Was it consistent power in Toledo? No. And, and again, even with like, you, it was hard to measure too, because the last two months of that season, Chris, as you recall, I mean, they're playing St. Paul. I remember that it was, some of the teams that were playing, but they were the, the level of pitching wasn't the, nearly the same because at that point you had a lot of guys. There, some teams were gearing for yeah. the playoffs, but it just seemed like it wasn't the same yeah, high sure. prospects. It was a lot of it was a lot of four four A players to me. Yeah, generally speaking, September stats are always a little bit wonky in the big leagues and in the minors because, you, like you said, you've got a lot of guys who are tired out from the year or guys who are jump up a level and, and aren't quite ready for that. I, I want to say he hit eight, twelve home runs in Toledo in twenty twenty one. It was it was a decent number, but I, he also hit two thirty. And batting average is not everything, but there is there is something to if you can't hit for average in the minors, it's 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 not a great indication of your ability to to produce at the big league level. So that's why there there's certain prospects that I just you try to pump the brakes on a little bit because 
you know, Torque is always going to provide some value by getting on base, but if he's not hitting and not hitting for power, then there's not much there. You got to do a little bit of everything. I found the audio. Here we go. Nice. I, I lost my swing a little bit just because it was, I felt like I was sped up. I, I wasn't myself. So it was really just getting back to myself in the batter's box and, and trusting that if I just get back to my swing junior year of college, my t- 2021 Miley campaign, if I just get consistency, more consistency with that swing, everything's going to take care of itself and just being super super dedicated to the process and not worrying about results because this game is a very results-driven industry. So you can get lost in there, but if you trust the process and, and go by that every day, you know, the results will, will come. That was the audio is courtesy of MLB Radio on Sirius XM Radio. So thank you yeah. for, that was, that was where the audio was from, but. Yeah, you you paraphrased it pretty well, Chris. And, and when he came back from Toledo, he did. He was hitting the ball hard for the first two three weeks there in September, and but they it kept finding gloves, and then that went away. I don't know, man. Like this is a guy that that scouts universally thought was going to hit and hit for power, and and many scouts still believe that he's got forty home run potential. So I I don't want to put a damper on that, but at a certain point, you you have to believe what. And this is. What we saw from Torkelson last year is what we saw from him in spring training. And uh, it, it, I don't know, maybe he'll improve this year. That's the hope. And then uh, if he takes off, then yeah, I'll be very happy. But I'm, I'm just a little skeptical right now. I am too. I, it, again, the, what really bothered me last year was the fact that they gave him the job, and which he, again, which was fine, but he didn't sign a backup. There was nothing. That was the thing I didn't understand. Like, Quincy Deporti was minor league depth. He wasn't going to come up at all, but there was no, no option. There was nobody else they could bring in. I, I didn't understand. Or even they had scope in first base in 2021, and they put him at second base, which was fine because defensively it worked out better. But I don't know. It was just it was bizarre. Harold Castro started at first because they had no other choice. And so, that, and again, that, that, that was the thing that baffled me about Avila last year was no, I understand that. So we had another question here. Todd wanted to know: Did Ramon Santiago get a Tiger? They get a minor league coaching job, or is he even with the Tiger organization anymore? I think he's still on the big league coaching staff, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, pretty sure. I, I don't know if he's the first base coach or third base coach anymore, but I think he's still an infield coach. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't recall anything about him leaving. He's going to be a minor league field in coordinator. That's what it's going to oh, be. Okay. So, I, so not, not a big league coach then. All right. Yeah. Yeah. He got, uh, he's still in the org, but that's always weird. What I guess he was the infield coordinator, right? Or infield coach for the big league last year. So yeah, he'll be joining because Mike, Mike Hessman is going to, I believe be staying. So yeah, they but, just brought in some more guys. So Jeremy wants to know where will Madden start and finish, start and finish at. Madden will be double A. I, I would assume we'll finish. And I think they'll both start in double A. Mm-hmm. Smith was the only kind of, of the young, the the college starters that they grabbed, the only one. Madden and Herter made it to double A. Flores made it to double A. Smith just hung out in high A all year long, and I think he's probably ready for double A. Madden will start in double A. I think it probably finish in triple A at the end of the year. Smith may hang in Erie all year. I don't know. 
Smith, remember, as you recall, had that injury. So I think if he didn't have that injury, he would probably put saw time in Erie last year. And he's also a little bit younger. True. I think like maybe six months younger than Madden or whatever, but not that it really matters. But he also, he did not, like Madden was a three-year starter for Texas. Dylan Smith threw, I think he had four starts or four outings as a sophomore, basically nothing as a freshman. And then he was the, like the COVID year and then was bumped up to Friday night duties for Alabama as his junior year. And so he, he just has fewer innings on his arm. So he might need a little bit more refinement. Although Josh, Josh Crouch was raving about pitching or him pitching to, to Crouch. They like to work together. So yeah, I would expect to see both of those dudes in, in, in Erie to begin the year. Yeah. And I, I still, I still think that in some ways Smith has a bullpen risk to him because if in terms of developing Santa, but I could see him as a bullpen arm long-term. Smith? Yeah. Yeah. I think all these guys, once they get up to double A, triple A, their, their ability to execute gets exposed or revealed. And you never know. Some guys, Smith might just be better off as a, a two-inning guy or something like that. I, I like his delivery. He's, he's got, he's, he's thin, but it's a starter frame. So yeah, I'm excited about him. I'm excited about Madden to see what kind of steps forward they can take this year. I'm curious to see what they do with Herder because he was pitching out of the bullpen at the end of the year, or, or he was. They were almost using him as the bulk inning guy. They would have him right. put him yeah. and then bring Herder in for three innings. So that'll that'll be interesting to see. It's the Toledo and Triple A or Toledo and Erie are going to be really interesting to see how they they round out the starting rotations because of so many. You know, some people have been asking about that online, right? You, you could have a rotation in Toledo that is basically five dudes who pitched for the Tigers last year and, and could theoretically pitch for them this year, and Fido and Wentz and Hill and Brisky and, and yeah, Ronnie Garcia if you wanted. So, I don't know. It would be interesting to see. There was there was a draft question way back at the beginning, wasn't there? Oh, what was the draft question? Was, oh, Max yeah, that was the Max Clark. It was Max Clark question. I don't, yes. I don't know if uh, the guy who asked it was still around. But – we will be getting into the draft talk uh, yes. fairly soon. I, I don't know if I may start doing the, the weekly draft <laughs> updates if if they're wanted. But yeah, yes, Max, wanted. Max Clark is he's one of the, the handful of guys who, who would be in consideration there for the Tigers at number three this year. He's a high school outfielder from Indiana. Hey, thank you, Birdball. Sorry, I, I get lost. He's he's a, a very highly touted prospect, was considered one of the best, maybe the best high school player in this year's draft. There, but as you as as happens when you're talking about like top five picks, these guys get really scrutinized, and there's tons of stuff to like about Clark. He's he's a legit, above average to plus center fielder on defense. He's fast. He's got a cannon of an arm. I think he's been up to 94, 95 from the mound as a lefty, and he's he's a really good hitter. The big question mark with him is how much power he's going to have, because he's basically he's listed as like six feet, which we know in sports means you're five ten. And he's, so he's 5'10", 180, 185, and he's basically maxed out. Like he's, he's, he's a super hard worker, got a really like a red ass attitude, like a Jared Kellenick type who really, he loves baseball, wants to win, wants to be taken first overall, has done everything he can to make himself into this great baseball player. But at a certain point, there's nothing more you can do to your body. And, and he's, he's a guy who's just probably maxed out at one or 5'10", 185. And so the questions are like, is he going to hit for enough power to justify that that top five, top three pick? You'll see comparisons to some people will point to Corbin Carroll, who is is small but still hits for power. But then there's another Diamondbacks guy that's like that named Alec Thomas, 
who is small but doesn't really hit for a lot of power. It, it's just it's just enough of a question mark that I'm sure some teams might be out on him as a top five pick. We'll see. He's probably going to go in that range, but I don't know if he's the sort of guy that the Tigers are after. I guess we'll we'll find out as the season goes along to see if if Scott Harris is there watching his game. Would you consider him? I would say him quick twitch based oh. off his based off his size. And the X of Velo was about in the 94, 95. And that was according to the perfect game. And so I think that as far it, right now, as it stands, I think he, he goes mid first round, maybe second round because based off the fact that it, this is preseason stuff, of course, but just there's so many guys who are going to pop up right now between when mm-hmm. the season starts and the season's not too far away from starting, by the way. I got the Michigan baseball ticket notification in my email the other day. About about 12 days away from from college baseball really getting going, which is always fun for it's, it's a lot more fun to follow college baseball when the Tigers are picking high, which is sad, but that's when I really started getting into it was, was when they had the first pick of 2018, I started following that season. Oh, Casey Mize, Ooh, Brady Singer. Oh, Nick Madrigal, like Alec Bohm. And it doesn't always work out, but, It'll be fun to watch these guys. But the high school players are, are sometimes harder to, to figure out. Normally, the big names who are heading into this year, their senior year of high school, remain the big names. Sometimes guys fall down the board. But occasionally, you'll get guys that pop up. Like last year, Jackson Holiday was – he was – people knew of him. But heading into his senior year of high school, nobody said, hey, that's the 1-1. And then he just came out in his high school season and looked bigger, stronger, faster, and better. And everybody said, oh, man. So that that sort of thing could happen. And then, there, like you said, Raj, there are guys who in the last year have grown like six inches and are still playing shortstop, and suddenly they're crazy interesting. Jackson Merrill was a really late pop-up guy from, I want to say, Maryland. It's usually the guys in the north, right? You, you, yeah. You run in there, you've got like a month to look at them. And people didn't know what to, to do with him. He was a guy like outside of the top 100, ended up going in, I think, like 28 to the Padres, and now he's a top 20 prospect. So... We probably don't have to worry about that with with a top five pick. The Tigers having a third pick. It's probably going to be one of the big names we know. But you never know. Like you said, somebody could could really shoot up the board. We'll see. The draft is the draft is. We have an extra first. The Tigers have the extra first round draft pick, and then it's only twenty rounds to draft now, right? Yeah. So they they have the they got a competitive competitive balance round A pick, which is going to be I think like thirty sixth. Thirty sixth. It's it's like they two years ago when they it's almost exactly two years ago they picked Job third and then they got Madden I want to say like thirty second or thirty fourth and then they got Pacheco like forty fifth they're gonna have three of the top fifty picks again which is good because this is a it's a pretty interesting draft a lot of good college talent this year a lot of college hitters hope that uh, they can they can get some guys who are capable of hitting and moving quickly and then maybe backfill the pitching later and teach them how to throw harder. Yeah, as far as that goes, I think that for the Tigers, what I'm gonna be what I'm gonna be most interested in seeing too is the Mark Connor effect, because this guy who drafted very well with San Diego, and and I'm wondering if the Tigers are going to go more high school bats. Are they gonna go it, 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 for for once the Tigers are gonna have their own? I think they changed it up in the last couple of years. I mean, it was the Colt Keith pick, Isaac Pacheco, that wasn't the typical. Avila call. It, it was definitely a different, a different change. Whether the whether it was 
the uh, Jay Satori or Sam Sam Mezen, whatever the case was, there was a different a different tone when it came in the draft the last couple seasons. So, although although you could like last year was was old school Tigers draft, it felt like on the, yeah. Not necessarily with the pitching. They go college, 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 and, and all guys from big schools, which is typically what they've done. That's what you're, you're, you, there's more safety than taking guys from big schools, theoretically, because you've yeah. seen them against decent competition. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, it will be very interesting because the, the, what we talk about, Mark Connor, he wasn't afraid to go triple up or take four or five prep kids in the first four or five rounds. And maybe that's the AJ Preller influence. I don't know. But, it, it will be fascinating to see this first draft because you, you got Connor coming from San Diego. You got Harris coming from San Francisco. You got Metzler coming from the Rays. This is the brain trust now. And, and those teams have had some strange drafts the last couple of years. So it'll be interesting to see what they, they pull off this year. Yeah. But they, those three teams always, except for the Giants, I don't know about the Giants drafts. The, they've, they've done okay. They, they were really targeting a lot of pitching and the 2021 draft, they targeted I, w- I want to say they went pitching, pitching. I don't know if they took a hitter first and then went pitching, but almost all the pitchers they took had terrible years. It was like Bednar and Mikulski and all these dudes, and they just they just sucked in pro ball. So I don't know, but you just you just hope that the Harris wasn't too involved in that. Yeah, maybe right, that's why. Good. Yeah, maybe yeah, maybe it was the fact that they were able to draft in terms of draft wise, in terms of diversity or diversity, but. They have three different opinions in the draft room. I think will serve well for the Tigers because you can always tell that it was David Littlefield draft, or you can tell the influences very <laughs> subtly. David Chad, you knew it was David Chad draft what or draft pick what it was from Wichita State, one of the Great Plains states. So if it was from Oklahoma, Texas, right around that plane, mm-hmm. Rice. I remember the Tigers had a fixation with Rice players, Rice University players for a while. Thanks to David Chad, it, you could almost it was very. Very distinctive. Uh, LSU, Al Vila was friends with the manager, and he had direct they, contact they, with them. They coached together. Yeah, I mean that was that was. Remember that was the the very beginning of my scientific mock drafts. The the sort of tongue in cheek scientific mock draft was that the Tigers were so predictable that some Yahoo off the street could could come up with a draft that was similar to what they did. And it, it was never super similar, but that was the idea. So yeah, we we got whole new patterns to figure out now yeah. if there are any. And we have heard that. The scouts are now being, they're looking at, at slightly different things now. We've already heard that. So that's positive, hopefully. Yeah. That they're, that the way they're doing the reports and what, what they're supposed to focus on is a little bit different. So we'll see the fruits of that. But again, the draft doesn't come for another five months, but college baseball is coming soon. So I'm going to get excited for that. Yeah. Plenty of content to share over at TigerMileReport.com, TigersMLReport.com. We got, we got some good stuff on the way this year. I think it's good. We have a video too that we're just gonna put on our Patreon only Patreon only video that John did for us. So I'm gonna I'll be posting nice. that a little bit. But before we get out of here, one last thing I want to close the podcast with, and I've been writing an article about this, but I think I'm just gonna put this in podcast form because I'm better at expressing myself in a verbal standpoint than writing something like this. And it was to do with last week Ralph Avila, father of Al Avila, passed away, and Chris and I were talking about this beforehand last week and i don't think al avila ralph avila gets enough credit for what he's done for the game of baseball along with there's something a guy you you may not be familiar with eli guerrero who established the dominican summer league and he started the first 
camp in 1973 and what what this does and then eventually with the Dodgers Avila got that going towards the later part of the decade or excuse me later part of the 80s and other teams started following suit this is a guy who got was in Cuba and Cuba at the time made up about good percentage of the baseball players when Fidel Castro took over was gone that that pipeline was gone and the line he said Crack me up. And, and I found this on Sabre. It was really great. It's just like it was in Cuba. Avila noted once about San Pedro de Marcos in the Dominican Republic. Sugar country is where you find the best baseball because sugar chiatis put money into it. The academy, end quote. That was, that was fantastic. And he did a lot of for scouting for that. And forever, the Dominican Republic, which was scattered in the first Latino player for the Tigers and first black player for the Tigers. That's slow. Is I always get this first Tiger player that was brought up in the Tiger system was Jake Wood, but Ozzy Ozzy Virgil was the first black player to play for the Tigers. He was from the Dominican Republic, and he started this wave of players. I mean, the, the Lou brothers, Maddie, Moises, Alou, the, the Giants. And then in Toronto, one of my favorite players was the late great Tony Fernandez, who's from the Dominican Republic. And Tiger Wise, Fernando Rodney, Placio Polanco, even Debbie Cruz. Again, the Tigers were very late when it came to the international game of things. But Ralph Avila is an important name that should be mentioned more often. The fact that what he did for a country to be one of the largest exports for baseball and assist with that says a lot. And he really put the Dodgers, his work with the Dodgers too, just scouting alone was revolutionary. Yeah. I like, I believe he signed Ramon and Pedro Martinez and Raul Mondesi. And yeah, it, it, it's impossible to think of modern baseball with all these Latin American stars from the Dominican Republic and Venezuela. And it, you could, you can, it's hard to imagine baseball now without those players, right? Without the Vlad Guerrero senior and junior without Fernando Tatis senior and junior. Like, Albert Pujols, Adrian Beltre, just everybody. And you can trace the direct line back to Ralph Avila for doing that. And yeah, I, I don't think he got enough credit. And, and Tigers fans are likely probably not in any mood to care, but they should. Because like you said, this is a dude from Cuba who, who scouted his entire life, got to see his son become a general manager, which is pretty amazing. Got to see his grandson become an all-star, which is pretty amazing. And made an impact on, on baseball that maybe a handful of other guys have had or people have had over the last 50 years or so. So yeah, he's definitely a bigger name than I think he was getting credit for. And uh, I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad you were looking into that because it really is this, an interesting story and yeah, he deserves some attention for it for sure. And there's a lot of great articles. And if you go to saber.org and look up some, there's some really good articles that do a better justice of the research side of things about Ralph Avila. I think Avila, Ralph Avila is should get some more credit, and it, again, just you watch your son become the first Cuban general manager in baseball history. And I, I know people when it comes to Al Avila, people make that face and just like oh, screw him, whatever. I get it. He wasn't a good GM here. I get it. But the fact that. And don't take and don't give me the nepotism angle either, too. But he also Al had to work his own way up. He found Levon Hernandez and was a big part of the Marlins rotation in '97. 
He had to work his own way up. You're just not handed this GM. He wasn't like, oh, your dad's Ralph Avila. You get to... no, no, God no. And yeah. he was a he was a right hand second in command for a decade plus. Yeah, yeah. Avila, Avila put in his time. It just didn't work out. Like yeah. that's. And it's one of those things where I, I think time will possibly heal that. Like there's there's not a lot of fond memories of Al Avila as general manager, but he was there for all the good stuff too. He just wasn't in charge. So maybe down the road, people will be a little less aggressive toward him. And, and particularly if the or if the Tigers can actually win in the future. You remember Bill Buckner was the most hated man in Boston forever. No, yeah. they eventually invited him back. And Steve, Steve Bartman, didn't the Cubs try to get him back after a while? After yeah, and Bartman. And Bar- yeah, it was like, no, no way. Yeah, Steve Bartman's like basically giving him the finger. He's like, I'm good, man. I don't want, I don't want anything so, to do with you guys. Screw you guys. Because. That story of Steve Bartman almost dying in the ballpark because fans were that mad at him. Good Lord. Like reading the details, I think it was ESPN or Sports Illustrated. I can't remember what store or what publication posted that story, but it was one of the most horrific things I ever. Or it was 30 for 30. I'm sorry. It was a 30 for 30. It was catching hell. The catching Bartman hell. Story. The, yeah. the, what the hell is. Guys. I'm a sports fan. Yeah. yeah. But no one. But it was. If, again, if Moises Alou did not react the way he did. We'll be talking completely. And everybody forgets Alex Gonzalez. The error. Who, yeah. The error. Everybody forgets that. But of course, Blaine Bartman, who was just minding right. his own business, watching or listening to the game on his radio, and what every other fan did and trying to go for the ball. And you're giving him, give him, I, mean, I think a decent amount was because he looked like such a dweeb, right? If he looked like a cool yeah. dude, we were like, eh, it's all right, Bartman. But he looked like you know, he's a headphones or like turtleneck. Cut it out, Bartman. But in any event, we digress too much, but yes, Al Avila aside, Ralph Avila deserves a lot of credit and a lot of and more attention from from baseball fans in general. Yeah, Todd, Todd was the last word of the night. It's unfortunate that Al fell too far from the tree. I think <laughs> I got nothing for it because he ain't, look again the the fleece job he got for the GD Martinez trade. Go on and on and on. I'm not going to repeat the hits. It's the same. It's it's old news. We know what Avila's track record is. However, it'll be interesting to see if any of these prospects pan out, what kind of credit he will, he will get. Because I guarantee you, they're just going to go, but then everyone forgets that the last year, if Meadows and Keith and Pacheco come out of something, or Santana or Campos come out yeah. of this. I mean, no, he did, but Garco, or he, sorry, he did hire Ryan Garco. So... Yeah, he was in charge when all that went down. We, we we've talked about it before. Like he just it it just was like three four years too late before right. they they updated the player development. Had yeah. he done that when he first became the GM, they'd have players like that coming up now and helping. But it didn't happen. So yeah, on to the next one. On to the next one. Like. So whatever lit role he lands up, I know it won't be anywhere in Boston or Philadelphia rather. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, Nebraska's probably looking at him going, Nah, bro. You stabbed me in the heart. Yeah. So on that note, all right, on that note, we're, we're out of here. Thank you so much for watching Woodward Tigers on YouTube. Thanks, everybody, for listening and subscribing to our podcast. Again, all the great content over at woodwardsports.com. Check out all the live shows Monday through Friday. And we are finishing up the reports over at Tiger Market Report. And so check out our work at tigersmlreport.com. I promise you this year that website is going to be jamming with content. And if you haven't subscribed to our Patreon, Patreon forward slash Tigers Minor League Report, Tigers ML Report, rather. that All that money we make goes back towards us traveling the minor leagues. It's not, and potentially, hopefully, give some money to our writers. It's 
100% goes back into it. We do it for love of it, but hey, every once in a while we want to eat while we're on the road and not have it come out of our pocket. That'd be great. But, but at the same time, we love doing it and we want to continue to provide the best coverage possible. After all, we were the ones that put Cole Keith on our prospect list before anybody else. Now everybody's just jocking our style. I'm, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm like, he's somewhat not joking. Not, somewhat not, not everybody. Basically, except for Keith Law. ESPN was the only like prospect site that that actually had him even in their top 100, I think. So Yeah, because Kylie, Kylie watches. I don't think Keith Law, I'm, I'm sorry, nothing against Keith, because Keith Law is a very sensitive man. I know that for a fact. I don't think he watched any, like he watched, he probably heard from some people and didn't watch a single Tigers minor league affiliate game. We do, and, and that's different. Again, that's, maybe, go ahead. Yeah, maybe he's asking the wrong Tigers prospect expert. Yeah. But what do we know? We didn't go to over 60 games last year or anything and, and watch every game on the, on the TV. No, no, not at all. Ooh. All right, on that note, all right, I'll stop humble bragging. <laughs> Have a good night, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. We'll be back on Thursday with John and Uper joining us. And, of course, if anything breaking happens, we'll be on top of it. So until then, have a great week, everybody.